Did you see the memo about this? From the slums of Shaolin, Wu-Tang Clan strikes again. The RZA, the Jizza, old dirty bastard inspected deck. Raekwon the chef, Baxter the dog. You God, Ghostface Killer, Kevin Kincaid from Crossing Broad. And today's guest on the Always Soccer in Philadelphia program, Rush Joy. Thanks, man. I, I didn't know if I was getting a name or not, but I'm, I'm here for this. This is good. Yeah, I just I just ripped off uh, all eleven members of the Wu Tang Clan. Uh, Capadonna is in there too now, mm. and um, uh, you know what? Actually, that's from the Method Man intro. But they don't say Master Killer's name for some reason. I don't know why. I think Master Killer was in jail at that point. Maybe that's why they didn't say. I don't. I don't know. But off guy. That's another <clears throat> piece of trivia for another time. Right now, we're talking about your first place Philadelphia Union and a holy cannoli! Uh, what a game! We watched me on television and you in person. Yeah, man. Talent Energy Stadium, your first place Philadelphia Union, uh, took first place back from Atlanta United. And uh, tell you what, man, it was a hell of <laughs> it was a hell of a game, man. I um I was trying to think of the last time I had been that excited to watch a, a Union game. I was like telling my wife, I'm like, there's a big, there's a relatively big Union game on tonight. And she kind of like usually rolls her eyes a little bit because she's like, well, don't they suck? And I'm like, well, not anymore. They don't suck, but they used to. Um, but damn, man, that was uh, everything and more. It, delivered. it was bonkers. And yeah, I'm going was... uh, to give you actually the first word since you were there and you saw it in person. So I, I, I can say, and I wrote this uh, on crossingbroad.com, you're a... Uh, your home for all Philadelphia sports. Uh, your home knowledge. for Philadelphia soccer. Um, which, by the way, I, I thought it was funny today when I, I put that that one comment that somebody sent me. Somebody DM'd me to say that they liked the thing that I wrote up. And Kyle, oh, was the, nice. the first first thing Kyle said is, wait, we did a Philadelphia Union post? It's like, all right, could just, just go back to sleep. Go back to the gambling <laughs> hole. It's okay. Um, so uh, th- this is the way that I put it. I was a season ticket holder. I, I want to say it was like 2014, I think. I think it was right before we had our first kid. And it was one of those seasons where you stand with the sons of Ben and you, and you hope and you pray that something's going to finally break this team's way. And it, and it didn't. And every year that I supported this team, it just felt like there was never going to be that good moment of karma. It always felt like something had to go horribly wrong. The team would get on a hot streak and then it would all just kind of fade away. And like Phillies fans are kind of finding this now where it's like they'll lose two out of three They'll feel like the world is is ending for them, and then they get a win, and they get that that little bit of hope back that they're going to make the postseason. Yeah. And I feel like they're kind of going through what Union fans have gone through for a long time. That game on Saturday was the first time in my life as a Philadelphia Union fan that it felt like what I had always hoped it would. Um, for some reason, the team shut down the media parking lot, which is right by the stadium, and I had to walk from where like the old Sons of Ben lot was, like out past the Wharf Building, out past the tra- the uh, Power Training Complex. So I'm like walking around and I'm just like trying to soak in all of the uh, the atmosphere, right? You and could it, feel it. Was it was it? You, thick you really could in the air. When I when I T- say that, like T H I C C thick. Yeah, double double C. Thank you. Um, when I say that, like you could feel the electricity in the parking lot, I, I genuinely mean it. It felt like any kind of a, a an Eagles post game or an Eagles playoff postseason run. I mean, it it felt like. NFC championship game against uh, the Minnesota Vikings. Like, it had that kind of vibe. It was wild, except, you know, obviously the difference is it was nice and warm. People are out grilling. But, like, the entire walk-in, it just felt like people knew the significance of that game. And, obviously, it was massive. They they needed a win. 
any other kind of result from that game was probably going to see your team, your town, your Philadelphia Union not finish in first place or not really have a, a realistic shot of first place. And that entire walk in, it just felt like there was this odd confidence among the uh, the Philly faithful that something was going to finally break for this team. And my God, man, like the entire atmosphere, I will tip my cap to not only the sons of Ben, who I think did a better job, and I think it always helps when you have the river end full, but Keystone Ultras, man, like that group, and I, I was not familiar with Keystone Ultras uh, all that much. The way that they not only get themselves, and it's not like it's the largest section of the River End going, but the way that their chants and the way that their cheers managed to permeate through like the next three sections over, like I was, I was genuinely impressed. The atmosphere in that place, I have never heard Talon louder, and I've never seen people walking out of that stadium with more pride than they did after toppling Atlanta United. Atlanta United. Oh, fuck. Hang on. I got to turn the volume up. Oh, I fucked up the drop. Hang on. If you want to crown them, then crown their ass. That's what I say about Atlanta United. Um, You know, it was a fascinating game from a strategic, tactical standpoint. I felt like it was played uh, at a a relatively high level when it comes to those two things. So I'm going to go through some observations from the game that I wrote down. And then uh, you can tell me how you you feel about all these. You know, just a little back and forth here. there's a lot of speculation about what they would do. And actually, let me, before we start, yes, Atlanta's coming off Tuesday at home in the Open Cup final. Um, maybe there was a letdown in that regard. But I honestly think, like, you had Wednesday, Thursday, Friday off, short trip to Philly. Like, I don't think the we're tired angle was really as big of a deal as some people were making it. Now, that being said, that's your disclaimer. Um, you know, I thought the Union came out with a good game plan. And I like the lineup, you know, uh, Montero, we had talked about on the podcast before, I think the last time you were on, or maybe even the time before that, if Montero is going to play the eight next to Madunian in with Bedoya, especially with Bedoya off the field, he's got to stay home. You know, he's got to defend. And for the most part, he did that. And Fabian stayed high. Um, good tracking back from Pico and Aronson. You know, I, the union had a, had a good approach to the game where basically they were just content to sort of sit back, uh, let Atlanta kind of ping it around between the back three there. They didn't, let them get the ball to Gressel um, and the uh, left wing back. Um, what's his name? Pereira, I think, in the uh, in in build up. So what happened was they would just sort of like snuff out, snuff that out, and make Atlanta play narrow. And they were just pouncing on those those balls that were played up to the middle. You know when uh, you know the the midfielders were coming back, whether it was Hyman, whether it was Nagby, whether it was even even two the two strikers coming back and trying to get on the ball. The Union would wait for that linear pass. They would pounce on it. They'd turn them over, and they'd start moving in the other direction. I thought they did a really good job of that. Um, you know, those are the those are basic pressing cues that you teach in in junior high, high school, college, whatever. You know, pressing cue number one uh, when the when the guy receiving the ball puts his head down. Okay, he ain't looking at you if he's got his head down. Number two, if he's got his back turned, he can't see you, and he's ripe for the picking. Um, you know, number three is 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 vertical balls not vertical over the top but vertical as in they're played like back to front straight you know because yep. when i when i receive that ball I'll try to picture this like wherever you're sitting listening to the podcast or now if you're standing or if you're walking or something um, imagine the ball is coming straight to you and there's a guy w- directly behind you you have to turn your body 180 degrees to see what's going on behind you that's why it's easier to press off off linear balls off straight balls than it is diagonal balls so i think um i thought the union had a really good game plan i thought they executed it well they did um, 
I, you know, I guess the first thing off the top is the role that Jamiro had to play sitting next to Madunian and all the, the ground that he's going to have to cover inherently because Harris doesn't move all that well. And the fact that Marco was able to stay up, which I think was something that you and I had talked about in the past, like Fabian has so many games where he ends up getting himself lost somewhere around Harris and he almost gets passed by whoever's playing back there. And I almost thought like to some extent it almost works out where like Jamiro could potentially almost flop, uh, you know, spots with, with Marco at different points in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let me just get this out of the way, because I, I don't want to, you know, have a negative be the thing that, like, it's a lot of focus here. But Marco Fabian was not good enough in this game. And if they end up losing this match, I think Fabian's, like, enemy number one with the public. Harris Badunian wears the captain's armband for the game. I think he played one of his best games. He had a, uh, a, a, a bevy of beautifully lofted balls over the top. That just absolutely shredded Atlanta's back line. I that allowed guys player. like yeah, I thought he was the best yeah, union player. That allowed guys like Aronson to run onto balls, Sergio Santos to run onto balls. Like the 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 you you hope that when somebody takes the armband for that one match setup, that the moment doesn't become too big or or they don't press. I think Harris played his best game, um, probably his best game in a union uniform. Like that's that's genuinely how well I think he played. Yeah, he, he had a lot of he had a lot of positional discipline. I mean that ball that he played over the top on the equalizer, he just seemed to be in all, all the all the right spots, man. And then and then you think about like and this is where I come back to Fabian. If you go into this game and uh like before the game, if you had told me that Fabian's only real impact in this game is gonna be hitting the crossbar what was it the ninth minute, tenth minute of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and other than that, he's going to be practically invisible. Do I think there's any chance the team wins? No. Like I, I thought yeah, Fabian yeah. was going to have to carry a bunch of load. And I, again, like it comes back to that: is there just a lack of chemistry, or does the guy just not fit? And at no point in that game did I ever really feel like Marco Fabian was was a difference maker. I didn't feel like he's the guy that you know they thought they were getting when they dropped was a three point four two yeah. million on he him. He did it's, a better. No, I'm, I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean to cut you off. I thought you no, were it was it's it's just that it's like I'm not saying that he's bad. I'm not saying that he doesn't do things that don't show up on the stat sheet, but like but in, in that kind of in that kind of from, yeah, in that kind of yeah. moment, a, a guy who's gotten capped nationally for the Mexican team, like for El Tree, like you would think that at some point he's gonna have that moment where he puts his mark on a game, and if or puts his Marco on the game, if <laughs> you will, and and uh, it it didn't happen. But my God, like think about that, Kevin, like. In the past, if, yeah, if yeah. the guy who's supposed to be your biggest difference maker doesn't show up, this union team gets slaughtered. And, and somehow, with the other parts, they managed to rise to the occasion. And you were going to get a goal from a, a, a homegrown player, from a dude who was like a, a bit part, you know, for Bethlehem Steel, and the guy who was totally out of favor and wasn't even <laughs> making the 18. You know, those are your, where your three goals came from. But. Just a quick point on on Fabian too. I think it's easier for him to stay stay up high when you play four two three one because with only one striker in front of him, um, it's easier for him to just like sort of float into the space wherever the other, wherever the other striker would be. So when they play diamond, I think it's just naturally he floats back a little bit more because there's just there's it's, there's more space in four two three one for him to go forward. And sometimes you see the number ten sort of press and play like a um, like like they're a second strike, you know. You see Diego Valeri do that a lot. Um, I mean, I thought the Union were the better team for the vast majority of the game. Like probably from minute one to forty, you know, they hit the post. Or I'm sorry, they hit the crossbar, then they hit the post again. Um, yeah, Casper, Casper, yeah. that, that rip on the near post that was a beautiful. Moment. Yeah, yeah, and then um, he they had the goal that was disallowed um, for the offside. So, which I don't know, understand. Until- 
Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I would just say until – so probably from like minute one to 40, they were the better team, and then Atlanta scored at the end of the first half. Atlanta was probably better in the first 10 minutes. And then of the second half, and then from 60 to 90, I thought they were the, the better team again. So I think like for a good like 70 – like probably 70 of the 95 minutes it was played, I honestly thought the Union were better. I don't think it was like one of those things where Frank DeBoer, like the typical you know British cornball manager, comes out with his fucking stereotypical cliche line where he's like, well, you know, we deserved to win the game or whatever. Atlanta didn't deserve shit. You know, I thought they were I thought they were pretty naive, man. I thought it was a pretty immature performance from them, honestly. I, I just maybe, – maybe I'm a little harsh on them because I have like high expectations of Atlanta and I love the way that they play, but they just looked really lazy and really lackadaisical and turning and receiving the ball sometimes and the union were weren't doing anything crazy they were just pressing him and trying to turn him over and um there's just really like I, I think a lack of urgency maybe yeah I, I think Atlanta was was kind of between a rock and hard place I think they were probably still reeling from that U.S. Open Cup win probably the celebration after um for they sure, took man. this they took this union team for for granted they took them lightly because you know it, one of the the key storylines heading into this obviously was that Bedoya was going to be out and I'm I'm guessing that they probably had the same kind of questions that that fans and pundits did going into the game, which is like, how are the union going to be able to link up play from that defensive midfield up into the final third, and are they going to be able to do it? And, and oddly enough, they were able to. The weird thing for Atlanta was like, okay, all right, they had what was it, sixty four point seven percent possession in the first half. Mm-hmm. It never really felt like they controlled that half. It felt like the union had many more. Scoring opportunities. Yeah, they were a little. There were like a couple, maybe like two or three times where they were able to squirt through the middle. Um, yep. You know, and they had a couple, a couple chances there. But I mean, I mean, yeah, it was like either they got through, they squirted through those couple times, or they weren't really doing anything. You know, and I'm that was to by design. I, I should, you know, maybe when Jim does his midweek, maybe I'll actually call the press conference this week and uh, just Whoa. ask him if if they, if they purposefully tried to pull the pull the fullbacks back a little bit. I mean, it kind of honestly kind of played to their strength because. You know, Ray doesn't go for it as it is, right? And and Kai is more of a is a two way kind of guy. He's he's a good attacker when he wants to be, but he's also can stay back and stay at home. So that that just plays to their to the strength of the game plan where they were just going to sit there and not let the wingbacks get on the ball. I mean, Julian Gressel really did, didn't do much of anything in this game. So um, I thought it made sense. You know, they were just going to say, "Look, we're going to narrow you out. If you want to play your three at the back and and you want to you want to build up through the wings, we're just going to take the wings away. We're going to try to m- make you play right through the middle." And and they they flattened him out. And they just turned him over there, you know. Yeah. Also of note, I think it's worth pointing out that I, I think Joseph Martinez probably on that that day probably likely could have had a hat trick. First half, there is a a corner that goes into him. He makes good contact on the header. He was and goes unmarked. just wide. Yeah, unmarked. Um, obviously, the one in the second half where he went down faking like he was shot in the ba- in the hamstring by a sniper, um, where he just absolutely Missed botched the, the uh, yeah. yeah it's like, it was look, it's a tough angle it's, 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 a, it's a tough angle it's a tough yeah angle. i get it those are yeah. those are harder than they look i mean you would think somebody like him you know what the skill the skill he's got you've got to finish with that. the skill he and, showed on on the goal that he did score which was just ridiculous. yeah exactly it's hard for me to, to push any blame onto the union for that at all i know people were talking about montero not really coming back on the goal that atlanta scored but they still had a 2v i mean it was a 2v2 there and the union f- defenders just got fleeced like sometimes you just tip your well, hat to atlanta and just say like look man that was a hell of a one two and <laughs> and then for well and for then martinez to have the, the wherewithal to 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 freeze andre you know and, and round him at the same time too i mean it's like a, a three-part a three-part act there you know you know, what drives me nuts, and this is—I—I'm I, I, not going to be critical because when I do this kind of stuff with the Flyers, I end up getting myself in trouble. But like, 
I, I don't understand why every reporter feels the need to try to figure out or like lay the blame at the at the feet of one guy after a goal is given up. Like when it's really not anyone's specific fault. It's just a very like, Phil- it's a very it's, Philadelphia thing. It's but it's annoying. Like because tactically, if you understand what's going on on the field, like it the the Jamiro thing not coming back. All right, like to some extent, I guess it's warranted. But there's also like a, a certain part when like when you're playing that position there is a reasonable understanding that you can release to your center back and there has to be good communication there but then your center back picks up that runner so that jamiro can then get any kind of a late runner who might come into the box so like he didn't do anything that was fundamentally unsound it, it was something that like i'm guessing curtain would have probably preached in practice so like it wasn't necessarily anybody's fault it was just that you saw a beautiful one two give and go play that was executed to absolute perfection. Like sometimes it's not just one guy's fault. You can't just do it because that's how most sports work. You know, yeah, that was yeah. that it's was the thing very, that I that, it just kind of bothered. No, me. you're right. But it's it's such a Philadelphia thing to say. Well, this you know, when the Eagles lose, it's like, well, it's the defense's fault. No, it's the offense's fault. No, the defense's yeah. well. I mean, normally it's you know it's it's a combination of both things. And that's a cliche kind of answer. But I'm watching the goal again right now, and. Um, I mean, you can you even put some of that on McKenzie too, because I think it was uh, was it Pity Martinez? Like the guys are so small on the damn screen here. You know, he was he didn't have a body on him when he played the flick through. And Elliot, yeah. Elliot, the only thing that Jack, one of the things that Jack Elliott doesn't do well, he was he was good in this game, uh, but one of the things he doesn't do super well is defend like in a in a phone booth. And what I mean by that is like if he's got a guy who's facing him up and in, in tight quarters and stuff like that, where he can't really use his like stride to kind of and body the guy off. Like sometimes he'll have trouble kind of keeping up with short movements and whatnot. But I mean, any defender would have got like like friggin' Paolo Maldini would have gotten beaten on that one too. <laughs> you know, it's just like sometimes you just gotta like uh, you know say, hey man, that was a great great friggin' play, and there's 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 yep. no one person who deserves a blame for it. The only thing I think when the Union are going back and watching them. Watching the film of this game, this is point number uh, number three. I wrote down. Um, they did. They got confused on two defensive set pieces where guys were totally lost. Um, Joseph Martinez was wide open twice on set pieces where uh, it was Wagner and Shabilko got got mixed up the first time and the second time they just got picked. They got screened two v two, and like I, I hate it because now in um, you know. With in the in the VAR world that we live in, where everything is like you know can be reviewed and everything's on camera and everybody can see what's going on, uh, you know, if I'm the attacker and you're the defender and I screen you and I put my hands on you and I foul you, the only thing I'm giving up is a free kick, right? You know, but if you if you body somebody and try to fight through a pick or fight through a screen and you get handsy with them, you can get called for a penalty for that. So the advantage naturally is on is for the attacking team to throw these screens, to throw these stunts, to throw these picks, you know, these little two V two, two V three kind of situations. And you know, if if you're gonna stay if the union are gonna the the union don't I mean there's no zonal marking other than the guy uh I gotta go back and watch it, but they put they put guys on the post Baxter, just hang on dude, all right? Uh you know they put guys on um you, know, you put guys on the post, right? But you know, if you're two v two, you can't sit underneath. It's it's like basketball screens. You know, if you're going to sit underneath and force a guy over the top, whatever. But in in basketball, you're either that guy's shooting a three pointer. It's not like you're chasing. If you're chasing him off the line in soccer, you know, you're push you're pushing them closer to the goalkeeper, right? So you want to get in an area where if you're going to quote unquote go over top of the screen, then Andre should be close enough to come out and grab it, you know? So I would rather have yep. them stay high and fight through the screens high instead of getting lost underneath because in, in soccer, it's different than basketball where, where you kind of want to force guys under, um, I'm sorry, where you want to go over force guys closer to your goalkeeper, then he can sort of come out and grab it, you know? Yep. Um, what is number four? Oh, they limited wing back touches, which I already said before. Um, number five, you know, it was weird before the unions, um, 
equalizer, they were calling uh, for a handball. They thought there was a handball on a uh, on an Atlanta guy. They didn't get it. Yep. Like two guys paused, two guys stopped, and then uh, Jack Elliott had the nice tackle to win the ball back. Madunian pings the ball over the top, and Aronson scores. It was it was a, a wacky sequence, man, because they had a legit gripe for it and uh, no whistle, and it ended up turning into the, the game tying goal. You know. And you know what the the more interesting part of that play was was as the ball's getting lofted over. You know, the initial thought, I think, in the stadium was that Aronson might have been offside. It wasn't him. It was actually Shabilko was offside. And that gets, ladies and gentlemen, to your NSCAA uh, rule evaluation of the day, which is, uh, in this case, Shabilko was ruled as not being an interfering player or somebody who is directly involved in the play. So while the official could have theoretically blown the play dead because they were in the general vicinity... They ruled that Shabilko had nothing to do with the play. Yeah. They allowed it to go on, Those and Aronson finishes it off. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, If you go on Atlanta Twitter, uh, where you could go back and check the tweets in, in real time, that was the thing that a lot of people were complaining about, was that Shabilko should have been, you know, the play should have been called dead because Shabilko was off. It's like, well, if, if you don't directly contribute to that he's play, not if you're play. not, yeah. he's not. And, and that ended up getting confirmed after the game. It's like, well, there you go. I mean, but look, Atlanta stopped playing on that. Um, and actually, a few union players uh, behind the play, also kind of paused because of, of the alleged handball. Um, and look, yeah, you're right. They're it, tough, it ends man. up working out. Those are tough to call. Good, yeah. good finish, by the way, by Aronson. Like a really nice finish. Oh, yeah, he had a pretty flush. Um, yeah, those are hard when, when I was when I was reffing for a little bit. I mean, those uh, trying to keep track, you know, because it's hard. You're looking out of your peripheral, you know, you're trying to time. You're trying to just go by the sound of the ball. You're not really looking at the guy kicking the ball because you can't look at both at the same time. You know, you're looking mainly down the line. So a lot of what you have is a visual cue for the offside line, and then you have an audio cue uh, coming out of your like left ear or your right ear or whatever that tells you when the ball is played. So those are harder because you kind of trick yourself into thinking, oh, this guy is influencing the play, but he's really not. And that's why I think when people complain about well, these why why are these linemen waiting so damn long to put the flag up? That's because of it. Because they're they're conditioned uh, to not jump the gun, you know. And if that results in some goofy looking things where like every once in a while it just looks like fucking weird, like why are they waiting like ten seconds before pulling it up? You know, flip side of that is at least they're not blowing a call in the opposite way, you know. So yeah. I think that's what happens with that. Um, you know, observation on Shabilka because I've said on the podcast before, like I, I don't I don't think that Casper is like. I don't think he's 20 goal scorer. I don't, I don't think he's like, you know, $3 million dude that you build your team around. But I think he's a good, I think he's, um, I think he's just a better finisher uh, than like CJ and Corey and those kinds of guys. So when I say that, like, I think all three of those guys could have like 15 goals or 16 goals playing with this midfield. Casper's scoring the, the better goals, you know? I mean, I think Corey and CJ and them could clean up a lot more in the box, score some headers and stuff like that. But, Shabilko has this thing where I swear to God, like every other goal that he scores, like every goal that he scores is either like from two feet out and it's like a boring like tap in or, or something like that. Or it's like a really nice like connection on the ball. He had that half volley, um, I think against New England, I want to say. And then he had the, the goal the other night that was just fantastic on his left foot. He's just got more... Um, I think I just like his technique, his like finishing technique, his shooting technique a little bit better. I think I think that's where he's, where I'd place him ahead of guys like Sapong or or Corey Burke or, or other dudes on the team. It's it's deceptive because you don't think a guy like you think of guys his size and you think they're like Jan Kohler kind of dudes, just like you know sledgehammer the ball with your head and score eight eight goals with your head per year. But no, he's he's got pretty good technique for a big guy. Well, and it's not only that. I think he's got better foot skills than you would imagine. Mm-hmm. Now, look, he's he's not gonna. You're not gonna confuse him for like Ilsenio or for Jimmy Arroyo, right? But like, 
there are moments where you know he you start to see him feeling himself. I think it was the last. I think it was uh, this game. He did it once or twice. He doesn't but, uh, try to two, do too much. Two yeah. games ago, that he just yeah. he just started going bonkers on the like he started bringing it down the wing, and he just kind of started putting on a little bit of a yeah. futsal clinic. Yeah. Um, he he's more skilled than than I think you would think. I'm going to make a really bad comparison. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say it because I know that if I say it, it it's gonna it's gonna haunt me for a long time. There are certain aspects. I'm not. There are certain aspects to Shabilko's game that remind me of of like a very very light version of Zlatan. Zlatan has better foot skills than you would expect. Zlatan is also a guy who you would think would just be super top heavy and unable to to do much uh, in tight spaces. He, I think Casper, like maybe the the number one thing that he does better than CJ did than Burke can, is he uses his frame. He uses every bit of it. CJ, I think to to some extent, would do a good job of clearing out center backs and start to wear them down. But I think Casper also has that like he he can not only physically you know um, body up to a center back, but he can also kind of weasel his way around. Um, yeah, he can pull back or, and he can or, receive and receive and turn. Whereas CJ was just like in constant fights with center backs he's also, all the time. You know? And he's also got like a deft touch. And he the I think like the most underrated thing about Casper is his off ball runs. So like when when you start to see like Ilsenio or you see Jamiro when he's playing up or even Fabian to some extent or Aronson, when he's making an off ball cut to get in behind the back line, his timing on those runs is impeccable. Now the problem, and this happened a bunch, and this is where like in the first half I was I was kind of down on Aronson because there were a few flashes, but it was the same kind of thing that I think I've I've said to you on this show before. Aronson sometimes has the moments where, like, you can tell that his his brain is working at the speed that it needs to at this level. But his legs, but his body's, but his, yeah, but his body's just a little <laughs> bit behind. He's kind of like that middle school kid who's like trying to grow into his body and learn it. Right? Um, there were a few runs that Shabilko made in the first half that, if Aronson times the ball correctly, if he's got his head up, um, those end up being high danger scoring chances for the team. And yeah. so, like, while I understand like what you've what you've said in the past about you know. Sapong and Burke could probably finish some of these off. I'm going to respectfully disagree. I, I just don't think that either of those guys are, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't think they have a high enough soccer IQ, and I don't think they they make they make the same kind of heady kind of runs that Shabilko does. Well, I think not, that's one of those things that that he does better. I don't think that. Don't take that the wrong way. I don't. I don't think. I'm not saying that they could finish the same they could all finish the same balls or whatever I think that those guys would school all score the same amount of goals based on playing with the midfield that's behind them now do I think that Shabilko is more skilled than CJ Sapon yeah I do do I think he's more skilled than Corey Burke yeah for sure I think Corey and CJ might clean up some stuff in the box might be a, a little bit better in the air might be a little bit more aggressive attacking crosses and stuff like that I think that all those guys in various ways could score 15 to 16 goals with this mid with playing in front of the best midfield in the league so um splitting hairs i guess a little bit on that i think i think the thing i like about shabilko is that he just, he just kind of um <clears throat> god how the hell would i even explain i think he like uh he plays he plays within himself you know yeah. i think he knows what he is he doesn't try to be what he's not and so he keeps his game relatively simple uh you know he's not like trying crazy bicycle kicks he's not trying to dribble defenders and stuff like that like he knows what it is he doesn't turn the ball over that often like he just he plays a pretty simple game but he plays it well you know and that's the the german pole you know that he played played in germany i guess his last name is polish or whatever the hell but um you know they're just a very it's a very 
simple, more like regimented kind of game. This is what I'm good at. This is what I'm going to try to focus on, and I'm not going to overcomplicate things. The only other guy who, um, who I had written down here was uh, Sergio Santos. Man, what the hell? Uh, I was beating uh, the and this, I was beating the Sergio yeah. drum earlier in the season, and then I, I reneged on on my uh, Santos push. And I and now he's good again. So do I get a mulligan? I never lost. I never lost the faith. Um, I wanted to say because you were just talking about how Shabilko knows how to play within himself, and it's funny because Harris Medunian said after the game of Sergio Santos that Santos is one thing, and it, it seems like the thing that has dogged him in his tenure here is Harris said that Sergio sometimes doesn't seem to grasp what his actual qualities are. He said, like, the the main thing that Sergio needs to understand are his best qualities. He said sometimes that Sergio likes to think that he wants to receive the ball in the field of play, but really where he's at his best is when he's running at the back line, tiring them down, and just after that persistent, just constant running at them, making them chase, that's when things start to happen for him. And it's funny because, like, you know, he's saying that to the, the media scrum, and Sergio's like right behind us. And like I know Sergio speaks very, 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 very broken English, but like you still know your name is being said, and there are still certain basic words that you would. You but would he's understand. not saying so, it in like a derogatory way, you know. No, he's, he's saying not. Like, no, no, this no. is a positive. We know the, the potential that this guy has. I mean, that's what I was latching onto when I was when I was talking talking a big game about Santos earlier in the year. Like I seen that this guy has a nose. I seen. I seen him. I seen this guy has a big goal. A big goal. A nose for goal and like he when he gets moving vertically i mean he's got a pretty direct kind of game where he's athletic enough to kind of get behind and make people uncomfortable and stuff and that's why it just seemed like he had more of a killer instinct i think was the term that i was using um you know where he just had this sort of directness and this this uh i i think a little bit more of like a predatory kind of nature around the goal where i think pico kind of has the speed and then drops off and he gets to the final third. You know, Aronson doesn't necessarily have the chops he had as an 18-year-old. Um, I don't know, man. It was um, – I definitely did not see that coming. Yeah. Well, he looked like a guy who he, – uh, he looked like a guy who, remember, like early in the season, looked like he was he was pushing too much, right? Like he he looked like he was – Yeah, he, he was, was, he was, he was he trying was, too hard. Yeah. He, he was trying way too hard. And then a in this hard-o. game, this is – the only thing I was disappointed with myself on um, was after the the home opener, I went over and spoke to Santos because they didn't have a translator around him and, and nobody really seemed to care. So I went over and spoke Spanish to him. It was great. And in this game, the problem oh, good for uh, you. was this. Yeah, I know. The problem, and and this is, this is again, meant to not be horrible. Wait, but hang like, on one sec. Did what? you say that you talked to Sergio Santos in Spanish? Oh, here we go. I really don't give a flying fuck. Well, you should, and here's why. Because when you go through an interpreter, through a team interpreter, the message gets whitewashed. It gets it gets um, shortened. The yeah, it gets shortened, and, and you lose the nuance of the question. And uh, I kind of wish that I'd I'd push the issue a little bit. But like the the thing for Santos is well, there are some there are pressed, some he, words too. I'm sorry, I'll let you finish your point. But there are some words too. You know this as well as anybody. Like in Spanish, that just don't translate. Or in Portuguese, it just don't translate to English. Like, there's no direct translation. Like, you would you would say, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but like a lot of the Spanish guys would use the word triste, right? It means uh, it literally sure. means they're sad, but they're not sad. They're they're using it to say that it's like uh, it's like disappointing. Disappointing, right? you know. Yeah. So I don't think yeah. I think that distinction is kind of lost too, because it's not you also have to note when you're making these translations to say, look, this is this is verbatim what he said. But when they yeah. use it in their culture or their language, we don't necessarily have a uh, 
a, a parallel for that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, as a resident polyglot at uh, CrossingBroad.com, oh. the most reverend sports Excuse blog me, in I'm the sorry, land. I'm sorry, I just see it. Um, I, I would just say that, like, yes, there is some truth to that. Um, I don't know. The the uh, it doesn't matter. Um, the only thing that yeah, I think we definitely saw from Santos was, and this is the thing I should have asked him about was. It just looked like the the weight had been lifted off of him, where he went in there with with very little expectation from I think the coaching staff from from the fans. Actually, there was more surprise than anything, and the conversation in the press box when Santos got up, there was a lot of surprise because remember, he hadn't played in a game since July fourteenth. He played one game at Steel and got a red card. Well, he had two yellows, but he got he got thrown out of the game, and. That suspension from USL did not carry through up to MLS, which I thought was interesting. Like in theory, I feel like that should that should have followed him, and he should have been ineligible for the for for the union's game. But whatever, it worked out. Um, there there were no expectations on him, and when you when he got in and he started running at that back line, it just kind of had the feeling like at some point something's going to break. And the beautiful thing here is that assist that he had to Shabilko is everything that we thought that those two would be able to play off each other. Like this is exactly what you and I had talked about early in the season of if you got Shabilko and Santos on the same page, that's exactly what happens. Because Shabilko, once again, makes great off-ball runs. Santos goes in, takes it all the way down to the end line, cuts it back. Shabilko's ability to finish on that, by the way, with his left foot, because you're and to crush it the it, way that he did, yeah, good Because when you're hitting... when So I, I assume most people are right-footed. I'm right-footed. And if, if you're hitting that, you, you're curling it out, outside to in. You know, it's yep. like ridiculous, man, because you got to hit those flush because there's is if that's if that changes by if that's left or right, like an inch, you know, it's come. I'm sorry if it's if it's a further inch to the left, it's come coming out because when something is spinning out to in like that, you know, you just have more of a pension to clip the bar and, and to come yep. across the, the face of the goal. You know, I mean, that is a tough finish, man. I, I hope everybody, everybody who played knows how hard it is to hit that. I think you can appreciate how good of a finish that was. Um, yep. So the Philadelphia Union won. They clinched. Playoffs. And uh, that was good enough to get them on page D6 of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Page D1. I didn't read the newspaper. I haven't bought a newspaper. The only newspaper I've, I've, I've been back in Philadelphia, and don't let Tannenwald hear this, but I haven't bought. I've been in back in Philadelphia for 10 years now. I haven't bought a newspaper. I bought one newspaper in 10 years. And it was, you're contributing to the downfall of the print media. No, I read it online. I mean, I get it online, right? But um, I don't go out and buy the physical newspaper. I got the Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl for fucking posterity or whatever, right? So, oh, yeah. Um, but I imagine that page D1 was like Carson Wentz, uh, you know, scratched his balls or something. D2 was the Phillies lost again and everybody wants to fire Gabe Kapler. D3 was probably like St. Joe's prep versus like Imhotep Academy. D, D4 <laughs> was like some bullshit about Carter Hart probably. D, D5. Oh, come on. They wouldn't put the Flyers D5, that high. D5. This, this but that's the point. D5 was probably like, you know, Penn State 400, Idaho 3, you know. And then, oh, here's the cute little fucking soccer story. You know, they probably, if Tannewell wasn't doing it, they'd probably pass it off to the intern and say, oh, get your fucking kicks doing the soccer team, and, let, and then we'll let you do a real sport, you know. So, um, yeah. but look, as, uh, as Nate Diaz once said, I ain't surprised, motherfucker. That, you know, I'm not surprised mm. that the union are on – D45 or whatever the hell, but that didn't stop Tim McDermott, uh, chief business officer, from tweeting about it. 
and expressing his disappointment and saying, yeah, what is this shit? You know, he didn't say, he didn't say that, but that's basically what he was saying. He pretty much didn't. And not so many. Yeah. yeah. But so, so, um, you know, instead of just griping about the, uh, thing here, like I said, with Phil last time, we like to move things forward on this program, you know? So if the union aren't good enough, cause we had always sit, sat back here and said, well, you know, they just got to start winning, right? You got to start winning. And then people start caring. Okay. Well, they went, now they're winning. Uh, they're in first place in September, but the inquiry don't seem to give a shit. So what does have to happen for them to give a shit? A sustained period of success, because right now I think the one thing that dogs this team is the the notion that things can still go wrong because I think the fan base is so used to the wheels coming off at some point. And if you're looking to try to sell the the four for four fan, or as Anthony Gargano would now say, the five for five oh. bed, Bo, ah, oh, the primo, um, then like you need <laughs> you need to like you need to be able to show that that the team can do this for another year. Like it, it has to happen at least twice, right? Because and I'm not saying like being in first place, but just being a legitimate contender in the conference. Because the more this is the thing that I found uh, since you know, the team was created. There are more people that I know that do not like soccer who go down because somebody convinces them or like their kid's soccer club sells a ticket mm-hmm. and they go down and they enjoy the atmosphere around Talon. And that's what gets them to keep going back more than caring about the on-field product. And if this team is somehow able to parlay the success that they've had this year into getting more of those casual fans out, even just for the game day atmosphere, for the tailgating, for the actual like taking your family out to a game and not getting gouged at concessions and not getting gouged for a decent seat, the more of those people that you're able to get out and to mix with the passionate fan base, the better. And that's how you're going to start to get some kind of mainstream you know, notoriety. Now, part of the problem, and I will say this, this is the thing that has killed me. I'm a cord cutter. I've been a cord cutter for, I guess, over it's, a year I know, now. I know. It is impossible to, find, yeah. to get to get these games these, these without having without without yeah. without having an antenna. Yeah. Now, if I go and buy ESPN Plus, I should be able to have the Union games in market, right? If I go and get DAZN and this game is on DAZN, I should be able to get mm-hmm. it. And so the fact that I have to go plug in an antenna is not helpful. And it's something that honestly, I think the Union are going to have to figure out. I'm, I'm guessing this is an MLS rule, but like something is going to have to change. If the idea is that we're going to try to be progressive and we're going to try to catch the norms in in like what people are doing in, in their TV packages, because for me, like I will gladly go and plug the stupid antenna in and run it across my living room among all the kids toys and hope that nobody like rips the TV <laughs> off the wall. But like your casual four for four fan who happened to go down, watch the game at Talon, love it, and then happens to stumble upon the second half on like Twitter and then can't find it on their streaming package they're not like you're losing that fan i will that's how i think you eventually have to get this thing around yeah. and that's why it sucks that like how much do you think nbcsn who like really doesn't enjoy doing anything other than having live games yeah. how do you think they feel about the fact that like they had this team and the team was absolute garbage and now the year that they let them run away off to my phl it's an actual good team yeah Kind of yeah. sucks. I mean, look, I mean, I'll concede the point. Every every union fan, every soccer fan should concede the point that, like, 
the team is dog shit for a long time. I mean, like Dave and I couldn't be arsed to do a podcast for like three months, you know, because we were just waiting for something to happen, waiting for anything interesting to happen. And uh, yeah, I mean, years, uh, you know, if you show that you have years of suckage, you know, that's probably going to take a couple more years to, to get people into it. Sustained winning, sustained success. So people don't look at it and say, okay, well, this is like a one-off kind of like asterisk kind of year. I get that, you know, but um, regardless, um, I'll tell you straight up that a lot of the people who run sports media in this town are like, are total dinosaurs. You know, they, they, the union could be the, the best team on of, of all time. I mean, uh, the home team could be Chelsea football club and they could be 17 and zero. and guys like Gary Petoskey and Pat McClune at the inquiry would give a flying fuck and a half about soccer because they didn't grow up with soccer. They don't like soccer. They don't get soccer. They never have gotten soccer. Like I said on Twitter the other, the other night, all these dudes who like control sports media in Philadelphia are like, you know, they're, they, they grew up on baseball, uh, you know, when, Frankie fucking two fingers, you know, pitched for the Chicago White Sox back in 1972, seven scoreless innings. And boy, did he have a slider, you know, and then they watched like the Bruce Springsteen video for glory days. And it's like, well, I wanted to be a pitcher too, you know, and so they can relate to that bullshit. But, yeah, Bruce, I'm going to go see him for the 47th time. Know, yeah, yeah, born in the USA. Oh, he plays yeah, three uh, hour, America. He plays three hour shows, man. Oh, <laughs> come on. Um, one of these days I'm going to got the same raspy voice he's always had. That is real American. One of these days I'm going to write the definitive, like explain my Bruce Springsteen, take it an article for crossing broad, just to put it to bed and explain why I'm just not a fan. But, uh, look back to the point, like, again, these guys, Union could be the best team on the planet, but these guys just are not soccer people. And that's why I've said before, it's like, you know, it's kind of a generational like war of attrition here. As sad as it is, like, you know, like, you know, if you went to a game in 2010 and your kid was five years old now he's 15 years old okay he's growing up with soccer and these other people didn't you know so it's just not ingrained um in their heads the same way it is in everybody else so i think those people are kind of a lost cause you know the anti-soccer it's communist i'm old i'm white i'm crotchety you know whatever i think those people are a lost cause you know so my disappointment is more like the the jabroni who will go to misconduct tavern and wear his like Aubameyang jersey at seven in the morning, but he can't be arsed to come down to, to town to support a decent team. And look, I've, I've said from the beginning, that's why people listen to this podcast, why people buy season tickets and why people support the Philadelphia union. It's not the best product. MLS is not the best product. Um, you know, but it's, but it's our product. It's our team. And as Americans, we always want to be the best at fucking everything. Don't we? So we want to see that we're invested in having the team get better and seeing the league grow and, you know, getting it to the point that everybody wants it to be at, you know? You know, everybody says, like, well, it's, no, I'm not going to watch them. Why would I watch MLS when I can watch the Premier League? Yeah, well, we're trying to get it to become that, you know? And it doesn't just happen yeah. overnight. Like, it happens because we go down and we support it and we put the time and effort into it. And we buy season tickets. We buy merchandise. We write stories about it. We do podcasts about it. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, I've always felt like it's more of a, a slog than anything, especially in this town where people just have old school mentalities, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, let's go from something negative to something positive. Let's do a segment that uh, that I think you probably popularized, um, or at least helped you helped take it uh, helped it take off um, with your larva and uh, poopa comments from a couple podcasts ago. Oh, that pooper! Oh, oh, I saw Tommy. I did. Uh, I did make a comment about I saw, him the other night, didn't I? I saw Tommy before the game. He was uh, he was grabbing a little bite to eat, and uh, walked in, sauntered in, mm-hmm. just dropped a. 
How are we feeling tonight, boys? Who do you think's gonna win the game? Yeah. Well, listen, if uh, or he might have said match. Sorry, don't want to miss. Listen, everybody Tommy. should know that it's nothing. Yeah, it's like nothing personal. Obviously, I just don't find. I don't. I just don't get much from the guy's color commentary. You know, because I just don't think it has a lot of substance to it. I just, you know, it's like, oh, that's a foul. That's not a foul. You know, the referee, blah blah blah. This. Oh, that was a good, great goal. That was a great shot. I like. Okay, I. You know. Tell Who's tell me about what's spot- happening on the. F- I need somebody to tell me what's happening on the field. I need somebody to like say, hey, you know, uh, you know, Atlanta's trying to play through the middle here or something. You know, like just just give me because because JP J that's what JP is there to do. You know, JP guides you through the game. And he tells you what's he he says. This guy kicked the ball to this guy, and then this guy kicked the ball to this guy, and then it's deflected. Right? Um, Tommy yeah. is there to add add color. That's why it's called color commentary. And I, I don't. His brand of color commentary, I mean, it's, it's fine. Maybe some people like it. I, that's cool. But um, I just, I do not, I personally don't get anything from it. I don't feel like Tommy says anything that, that makes me say, oh, you know what, that's interesting. Like, I don't get that feeling during the game, you know. I'm trying to remember who the guy was that came in and spot duty. Yanish, Yanish um, Yeah, and there was just like, it, it was night and day. It was MLS to Prem. Well, Yanish yeah. was a United States international soccer player, you know, and he, he talks about the tactical side of the game. I didn't think with Yanish is sometimes like, um, sometimes it'll be a little bit too much. Sometimes he'll do like not know when to start, not know when to stop. And sometimes he just goes on and on and on and on. Um, I think he was calling Ray Gattis, Roy Gattis or whatever, but it was still an upgrade over Tommy because Yanish will look at the game and he'll say, okay, the left back is trying to overlap here and they're trying to create an overload on this flank because they think they have a good matchup with Danny Cruz versus Wells Thompson or something. You know, like he, he will give me that X's yeah. and O's kind of stuff, and I'm just not I'm not getting that from Tommy. You know, it's got nothing to do with him as a person. It's got nothing to do with his pedigree or where he's been from, but his brand of color commentary just doesn't do anything for me because I don't I don't feel like he does enough to differentiate – what JP is telling me, and I don't, I don't feel like I've, I don't feel like I'm learning anything when I'm, um, when I'm watching him, you know, when I'm listening to him. So. Yeah. All right, but anyway, it's a popular segment now. It's words that end in the letter A. Uh, last week we did uh, Orca, Lady Gaga. Um, what else did we do? We did Yoga was one of them. So I'm gonna give you. I think I got seven or eight written down. So I'm gonna give you the clue, and you got to guess what it is. All right, Russ. All right, let's take the words, put them in the old onion bag, and pull them out one at a time. Okay, this guy was a villain in uh, Star Wars. He um, had a beef beef oh. with Han Solo. Of course, got it. I know who it is. Do you want me to tell yeah, you? Yeah. yeah. I believe that was uh, Jabber the Hutt. <laughs> Jabber the Hutt. Uh, this is what you, you put this in a salad. It's not spinach, but it's like another like leafy kind of thing that you can put in there. Ah, oh yeah. They call it rocket over in the UK. It's arugula. <laughs> Aru- oh, love some arugula. Helps keep the onions all nice and firm. Arugula. Um, this is a city in Florida. It's in the panhandle. Oh, would that be tamper? <laughs> no, I get, well, no, that's not. That's that's not in the panhandle. It's uh, up. It's near uh, Alabama. Um, There's a. I think they have a race there. A NASCAR race there. And that's um, Daytona. Daytona. Um, ah, Daytona. Ah, Daytona. The word, right. I, the city I was thinking of is... Need some Daytona for my printer. <laughs> the word I was, the city I was thinking of is Pensacola. Ah, Pensacola. Ah, yes. This is, um, you don't celebrate Christmas, you don't celebrate um, Hanukkah, but this was a, another... Ah. <clears throat> 
well, to be to be respectful of all the people who celebrate it, I believe it's called Kwanzaa. Do the Irish do this, or are you just doing the British thing in an, in Tommy's Irish accent? Is that how? Is that, it doesn't really matter, does it, Kevin? Um, <clears throat> this you can go to Dunkin' Donuts and get one of these. It's a it's a it's an icy frosty drink that you can. Ah, believe that's just called a cool otter. <laughs> yes, cool otter is um is correct. I really should be doing these with a British accent, shouldn't I? Not yeah, do the next, do the last three, should... do the last three. I got three more. Do the last three in a British All right. accent. All right, let's let's do this. Yeah, I got I got yeah. you. Okay. Go um, the Northern Liberties has one of these. It's an open space, and there's a lot of restaurants and shops. How am I supposed to know? I don't know. What's that? Type it in here. I don't know what that is. Uh, at uh, Schmitz. It's this at Schmitz. It's, it starts uh, with a P. Oh, oh yeah. That's a, that's a plaza. Yeah, a plaza, yeah. It's plaza. the piazza. The piazza. Piazza. Yeah, piazza. Yeah, yeah that's Mike right. Piazza. Yeah. piazza. All right. Um, this is, yeah. what, com- this is what comes out of a volcano. It's liquid hot. That's a... Uh, <laughs> I believe that's called Magma. <laughs> Magma? Yeah, magma. <laughs> I want to do it in the Dr. Evil voice from uh, from, Austin, me, from Austin Powers. Well, I guess that's called magma. Now, isn't liquid, it there, Mr. Liquid King? Liquid hot liquid magma. Ma- magma. magma. All right, this is the last one. Um, this is something. This is a, a, well, it's not literary. It's a, it's a grammar. Um, it's a very divisive um thing in grammar i personally believe in this but anthony sanfilippo does not mm. mm-hmm. could that be the oxford comer <laughs> yes yes the oxford comer that's correct i'm a big oxford comma i am too because it doesn't because uh, the the meaning of a sentence can change if you don't have the if you don't put the oxford on there so yeah. bingo for those of bingo. those of you who don't know what the hell we're talking about it's like when uh, the oxford comma is like when you have a list of items like if i say uh, the last three guests I've had on the program are Russ, comma, uh, Felipe, comma, and Phil. You know, you, you Oxford, comma, is the one after Felipe there because I could. You, some people would say Russ, comma, Felipe, and Phil, but I just like putting that that final, comma. which implies that those two are on. Yeah, together. yeah, because it does. Because I just like yeah. that comma because it creates uh, separation there. You know, so I do too. It bothers me. Um, about it. We have one more um, segment I want to do. Before I get to uh, the questions and comments and concerns, I'm just going to vamp here a little bit because I got to go to crossingbroad.com mm. and I got to pull it up. I know I said that I was retiring this one forever, but guess what? Um, oh my God, is this Kyle back? reopened the comments um, section, which means that mean uh, soccer comments has come back because we now have comments again. And Russ did a soccer story, it was called Vindicated colon philadelphia 3-1 atlanta united so i want to read some mean soccer comments for you um ron hurst rascal says what is this trash article nobody cares birds in six days um rob ellis responded to that <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said he said i agree let's get it back to the eagles i love rob by the way rob and i were uh were tight when he was at uh, channel three um thanks rob um la, 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 la. Oh, there's some serious comments in here um yeah there were actually some nice serious comments okay here's great. one from z z z z z z z it says who cares six with six question marks uh lou lanza says soccer sucks and then we've got pele chiming in he says soccer blows uh this guy's name is this ain't england holmes he <laughs> he says soccer blows go birds 
Um, and that's it. The rest of them were uh, were positive from people. I uh, made a plea for cheap clicks, and to help you know boost uh, you know, to help grow the game of soccer. I think some people uh, jumped in and did that. So um, all right, let's get to some questions, comments, and concerns. Um, all three points podcast. Can oh, I? I'm sorry. Can I throw? Can I just really quick? I, I want to throw in a little appreciation because we didn't mention him uh, in the game recap, but I think it's it's important too. I tweeted this out. I couldn't believe how many people liked it, which was funny. Um, Kai Wagner, we need to have a conversation. I don't know what his contract next year will look like, but Kai Wagner to me has been so much more and has exceeded everyone's expectations. Well, sure. And when you come from the third, the cap, when you come from the third division in Germany. Yeah, of course, man. Like tip of the cap to Ernst Tanner, because I know that the guy's a magician at like finding people, but like Kai Wagner on that left side has been absolutely dynamic He's been a lockdown defender. He had multiple uh, instances in that game where he was 1v1, where if if he doesn't make a tackle at the exact precise moment, it ends up blowing up and probably ends up being a nice layoff to, for Joseph Martinez. He had a pretty excellent game, including a lofted ball that set up one of the goals. Um, he's a guy who, I like, one of my buddies always says that, like, he's going to be playing somewhere else next year. He's going to be playing in a European league, and I, I certainly hope that's not the case. I like Wagner a lot. I think he's been fantastic for this well team. why don't you anyway, fucking go talk german to him then about that since you're a well i guess i'll have to won't i languages all right let's get some questions and comments here all three points says is la now the next most important union game of all time and then is everyone after the most important game of all time if they still have a chance of winning the conference no the, no the reason atlanta was more important than la is because it was a conference game you know it was a six-pointer la is not in the conference la is going to run away with it anyway so I don't think this game is as important as Atlanta for sure. Um, but, you know, if it does get to the final game of the year, New York City, holy fuck, oh, my God, can you imagine if it comes, if first place in the East comes down to that and then New York, Yankee Stadium hosts every game of the Eastern Conference of that they're in the playoffs, like, and then they have problems and problems Those with freaking the Yankees. frauds playing, playing on schedule. a field that's not regulation, playing on one of the oh, most it's a fuck, disgraceful it's a surfaces farce, it's, yeah. in all – I mean – we can go to an abandoned World Cup stadium in Brazil, not treat the field at all, and it would still be a better surface than whatever that bastardization of the game is at I Yankee is, Stadium. Yeah. It is so it's it's so upsetting on so many levels, and the fact that like it's a shame that that team didn't end up folding when they couldn't find a new stadium. The fact that like MLS is is just going to continue to be okay with the idea that like they can BS this being a thing. Like, I don't know if you saw this, but like the NFL had the game up in Winnipeg, right? And they played on an 80 yard uh, field because there was was an issue with like the patches where the the CFL posts would go. And everybody was like, Oh my God, I can't believe they would do this. This is a sham. They should have canceled the game. That's how everyone feels when their team has to go play NYCFC. It doesn't feel like it should be an actual game. It feels like it should be something that like is a a friendly should be an exhibition match. It's not a real game. If I was the and uh, so like it's a shame that yeah. we're gonna we're gonna get subjected to this BS well, you, because yeah, they still have two yeah, games in hand. It's fucking ridiculous. If I was the commissioner, I would. I will shut that shit down. That's what I would do with Yankee Stadium. Um, Dave, I need MLS to do a better job, by the way, next year. Of like, there is no reason that at this point in the season you should have a team that's got two games in hand. Like the the it's idea that the going Yankee, into last it's all weekend, Yan- it's the Yankee schedule. It's a whole. Bo- I, that's the reason for that bullshit. I, I get that's it. The reason it's for just, the field it's bullshit. So, like, it's it's a shame. Because you and had it's to get the oil. Because you had to get the oil shake money. You know, it's like it's. Yep, you're just blowing. It's just it sucks. It's nonsense. Um, Go ahead. What you just said 
is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Not what you said, but what the them putting the uh, New York yeah. and Yankee scene. Um, David says, uh, the union have already exceeded basically everyone's expectations for this year. Um, best season ever by points. Is it still a disappointment failure if they lose in the first round of the playoffs? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Because, I mean... Okay, then you finish the season with the most points. You have a home playoff game, but then, but then what? You, you're you end the season being zero and five all time in the playoffs. You know, and zero and three yeah. in the U.S. Open Cup. Like the, I, I, I'm a believer. I, I've said this on Crossing Broadcast that I think you set goals at the beginning of the year and then you kind of evaluate them at the end of the year. But I think you can move the goalposts a little bit when you say. Hey, look, they are really good. And now that they are this, what's the next step? I think you can move the goalposts within a season. I don't think you do it too much because it's kind of pointless, but you know, because you still have to have a finite starting point, a finite ending point. But yeah, I think it'd be a disappointment if they, especially look, if they're going to be a number one, number two seed, they at least got to win that first round game. And then if they lose in the second round to like friggin', um, you know, Atlanta or NYC or sort of whatever the hell ends up happening there, then so be it, you know? That's where the knockout stage now is going to end up being something that that could be a problem steve says you know like oh, the, the the possibility of there being upsets in that first round yeah it, it would be a disappointment i think it also depends on how it goes down but let's um you don't have the benefit of, of let's rifle road. through some of these here because it's a uh, bedtime for uh for uh the baby girl um mm. steve the engineer says can you coherently explain why people are still booing curtain i don't know is it just a thing now people just do it to do it I don't know. I, I've had a, a total 180 on the guy. Um, Connor says, I haven't looked at LAFC's point total, but what's the percentage chance the union could make a legit run at the supporter shield? No, it's like it's like 99%. <laughs> like, that's how far yeah, ahead it's, it's LA over. is. I just, yeah. They've got... Here's what's going to happen. They have, what, ni- they have, what, 19 wins? Yeah, I here's what's going to happen. If I'm not... What's the not incentive wrong? for them to, like, bring their whole team out here? You know, um, uh, like, are they going to start to slow yeah. it down a little bit before they get to the playoffs? I mean, are they, are they cruising? I don't, I don't know. I mean, you're coming off the international break too. I don't know. Um, that was the question. That <laughs> they're 16 points yeah. ahead of Seattle, yeah. right? Like, there's, <laughs> they're not getting caught. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like this. This is, I guess, one of the things that we have to talk about. But like the last time these teams played, I forget who. What was that? The one that you had like the the Dalai Lama? Oh, Simon of uh, Simon uh, soccer. Yeah, yeah. I think it was like right after the game that they played against that LAFC. That was against the Wasn't Galaxy. It early in, yeah. Oh, it was Galaxy, that's yeah. right. Where they, they went across country and they didn't show up. The The issue here, I guess, is going to just be like, if you're the union and you go out and you, you put up a, a clunker, then it would be massively disappointing, especially if LAFC doesn't roll yeah. out yeah. all the stars. Well, I mean, I think they're just sitting like, if LAFC comes out here and they thump the union like three to one or something like that, then you're sitting here saying, well... Like inevitably, you could have the best season of all time, and you could be first place in the East, and you could go to MLS Cup, and you and then you got to play these guys again. You know, yeah. <laughs> so it's like it just it does put a damper on it a little bit for me because when I look at the West, I look at them and I see just how damn good they are. I'm like, oh god, you know, what I mean, like the Union are having such a fantastic year, but LA is like setting fucking records, you know. So it's it it does put a little yeah. bit of a um, there's a little bit of a wet blanket thing going on there. Um, Ezra, uh, formerly the Bagel Bistro, um, he says, Andrew Vooten, question mark. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, well, but here's the thing, too. Mess. People don't understand that Shabilko, like, they went out and they tried to get a better striker because Shabilko wasn't cutting it and Pico wasn't cutting it and Sergio Santos wasn't cutting it. So, I mean, if while we're heaping all this praise on Shabilko, I think you could put a note on there, a footnote, and say, well, I mean, he's, he's – 
started stepping it up when Vooten was signed, you know, so he did need, I guess, a little bit of a kick in the ass, but, uh, you know, I mean, if Vooten's not ready or you got guys that are playing well, then Vooten's ready for next year. So whatever, you know, um, fear and yeah. loathing in Chester says, is Aronson's improved play a result of one physically recovering from the small knocks over the past six months two being able to sit back and watch for a while. Uh, so the game could slow down mentally is at three is something else. Uh, no, I think, I think it's a combination of both of those things for sure. You know, um, learning a little bit more. I mean, God, think about how much experience he's, he's getting this year. I, it's a long time. I mean, like it's a long ass season, man. March, I can't, my wife is still pregnant back in March when the season started, you know? So, um, we were at yeah. baby classes at Penn and I was looking at scores on my phone, but don't tell her that. Um, <gasps> Andrew says, how the fuck your life Andrew is says, over. how the fuck can you eat at Olive Garden? You want comfort, <laughs> grab your teddy and go to a real Italian restaurant. See, this is a little bit off base because I didn't say I go to Olive Garden all the time. I said, in the, in the hot takes column for Crossing Broad today, I said, there's this like trendy thing where everybody in the city like thumbs their nose at like, you know, Olive Garden and like the Texas Roadhouse and like, what's another one? Like Bonefish Grill and stuff like that. And they're like, oh, these are your all daughter Dutch. sticking her nose up at her uncle who had the uh, two cores <laughs> yeah, lights. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but like I, I don't, it's like popular to like talk shit on this because like, well, in the city we have like fucking fifteen veterinary restaurants and stuff. Okay, nobody's saying that like, um, you know, Carabas is veterinary. Okay, but when you live in the suburbs and you don't have like these independent restaurants, when you grow up in the on the on the Berks County, Montgomery County border, like the most fancy thing you get is like a shitty local wings place and then like you know some chains. So you just you just just yeah. familiar with it, like you're traveling, you're on the road or something, and you see like fucking Applebee's or whatever. You're like, well, at least I can get like the fucking boneless wings and blah 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 or whatever. Nobody's saying that those are five star restaurants, but you know what they are. And you didn't grow up as like a friggin' foodie eating like, you know, the goat cheese Lebanese jam with the fucking duck like, confit, duck confit with, and like a uh, snap pea crudo, with a, you know. And a beautiful red wine yeah, reduction. So, yeah. Um, Trucks Stop says, um, what would you do to get mainstream sports radio news sections run by 87-year-old glory days? <laughs> uh, we, t- well, we talked about the media thing. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, like I said, I just think, yeah. I just think it's like an attrition thing. Uh, Mike says, if the union finished in second instead of uh, – uh, or if the fin- if the union finished in second or third place, this is still the greatest season in union history. Yeah, yeah, it is for sure. Uh, Andrew says, yep. is McKenzie the man now? I think so. Do you? Yeah, I like what he brought to the table. I didn't dislike Trusty. I'm just glad, I'm going to be honest, I'm just glad that we don't have to watch Colin anymore. <laughs> I like Aurelia so Colin. Like, what, yeah, he was just, whatever, whatever, whatever was, was going to get Colin off the field. He played I was, his role, man, dude. When, when, Trusty, when Trusty he was fine. started to fall off a little bit, Colin came in and stabilized things for sure. And then he fell off a little bit. Now McKenzie steps up and he's stabilizing things. So it's they've all they've all played their role, man. If, you have a, if they win MLS Cup and we have a, a parade down Center City or at least just um, from the Larimer to the stadium in Chester, uh, you know, do you, do you name all those guys and say all those guys played a role, you know? You know what? I think there's uh, there's only one thing that you could say. That's a, yeah, I don't, I don't know, know what it is. You take off your headset and you don't say a word. And I quote, you know your damn role and shut your damn mouth. There you go. You shut your mouth. No, you're, you're talking to me. 
<laughs> okay, so this is a good one. I won't waste too much time with this, but I thought it was funny because Sarah watches like so much Bravo that I know. Okay, well, let me read the question. If you could field a best 11 using real housewives, who do you have in goal at forward anchoring the back line? And who is your, who is your Bedoya, your glue girl? I will have no idea if, if your answers make any sense, but I thought you may like the challenge. Well, I was joking the other day, like, because my wife watches so much Bravo, I could name, like, every fucking housewife that there is, like, seriously. So I, I, and I tried mm-hmm. to get tickets to the Bravo convention up in New York so I could take her up there and we could go, I'll go see all the housewives or whatever the fuck, right? Um, but I could I could name a starting 11 of, of real housewives right now if you wanted me to, you know. I could. Do you want me to do it? Go Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, let me think. You need veterans on the back line, you know, especially at center back. So I'm going to go with uh, Teresa from New Jersey. Her wife jo- or her husband Joe went to jail for tax evasion. You remember that guy? This I do is remember chick- that. Teresa flipped. She Teresa flipped the table. Judice, Judice or Judice, Oh, she's the one. Judice, yeah, she's the one who flipped the table. Yeah. Uh, there's this chick, Vicky Gunvolson or something, who's from Orange County. She's been on Housewives since the beginning, so she's an OG. So she gets my other center back spot. Uh, Lisa Vanderpump, uh, who also started Vanderpump Rules, she goes in at left back because she can she can do a little bit of attacking and defending. She's um, she's versatile. And then at right back, I'm going to have um, I'm going to have Bethany Frankel uh, from New York. I'm going to mm-hmm. put Bethany up there because uh, I think she brings a lot of energy up the right flank. Uh, at, at defensive mid, I'm going to have I'm going to play four four two. I'm going to have two box to box midfielders who are just fucking batshit crazy, like. Uh, you know, the the real housewife. If Gennaro Gattuso was a housewife, I think he would be Nene Leakes from Atlanta. Okay. I'm going to have Nene Leakes in there. I'm going to have this chick from uh, Leanne from Real Housewives of Dallas. She's fucking batshit crazy, too. Um, and then you need somebody creative um, and experienced at the cam spot at attacking midfielder. So I'm going to go with, uh, oh, what the fuck is her name? The Countess uh, from New York. I think her name is Luann. <laughs> Luann, the Countess, so to put her in there. And then um, my front three, I'm going to do an all New York front three. I'm going to put Durin, Durinda, wow. Durinder uh, at right mid. I'm going to go with uh, Ramona at left mid. And up top, we're going to go with, um, oh, fuck, who's another New York one? Oh, no, you know what? I'll go with Robin from uh, Potomac because she was married to that basketball player, uh, Juan, Juan Dixon, right? I think his name was Juan Dixon. Uh, I think he played for the Washington Wizards for a bit. So that's my um, – oh, I need a goalkeeper too. I need a goalkeeper. Um, blah, 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 blah. We'll go with uh, – who's that bitch that has like the – there's this chick in Orange County or Beverly Hills who's got like a five-person team of dudes who like do her makeup and they travel with her everywhere. I'm going to put her in a goalkeeper. Um, Erica okay. Jean, her name is Erica Jean. That's okay. my best eleven of housewives. I could do this with a. Uh, I could do this with Bachelor in Paradise. Um, nah, f- nah. My <laughs> wife doesn't. My wife doesn't make me watch it. I watch it on my own accord, which is uh, equal parts embarrassing. But uh, I don't know if I added. Oh to, man, I've got that? and like I have this. I have this whole. I have this whole thing figured out too. I'm looking at the cast right now. Like I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna give you full. Do you 11, think the housewives like, thing Will's, added to my credibility or hurt my credibility? I don't know, man. I th- I think we all we all kind of suffer through a bad show. <laughs> There's a guy Will's who like came back and he uh he like bleached his hair so like he has to play an outside back to be like the Danny Alva the uh the Danny Alves <laughs> of the team. Um, yeah, I like what you were saying about center backs having to be experienced. So, like, there's a guy, Chris, 
who's like 33 and what he's show been is on this? I think the like Hills? seven This is Bachelor, Bachelor in Paradise. Empire. No, no, no. There's there's Chris who I think has been on like six different seasons or iterations of The Bachelor, Bachelorette and uh or whatever, Bachelor in Paradise, whatever it is. Clay Harbor, former Eagle, uh probably a, a decent enough. Wasn't uh, back, Jay Cutler's uh, wife on a reality? Doesn't she have a reality show? Yeah, very, she was um, uh, very that, Cavallari. Wasn't on. that? Yeah. yeah, Chris and Cavallari. She was on. Uh, she was on The Hills. I don't remember if she was on Laguna Beach, but it doesn't really matter, does it? That's what I thought about those shows. Okay. All right, let's um, let's get it back to the union here and wrap it up because um, I have uh, tasks to do around the house. I'm going to pick one more from a mm. reader here, from a listener. I'm sorry. Um. We already talked about that. We talked about that. Okay, we'll end on this one. Um, this is from Kevin Thomas. Does the Union versus LAFC determine coach of the year? I think it depends on what kind of a squad LAFC brings. Yeah, it's going to be like it because then you're going to have people if saying, "Well, you know, they didn't, you know, they didn't have Vela or something," you know. Yeah. Um, I Curtin's got to get some legitimate votes. He does, and I don't I think mean, I like think Almeida's LA, LAFC, off a little bit too. LAFC has enough financial wherewithal. They're they're a destination place to go. The union, like you know, in pretty much any other sport, if a coach takes a team from being like a bottom dweller or like a, a barely a po- like a playoff team, and then they end up becoming like the top seed in the conference. Look at Mike Budenholzer for example. Like they win hmm. Coach of the Year. And Jim Curtin to take this team that, like, granted, there there were a few moves made, but really only one big money move in, in Marco Fabian on a free transfer. But, like, you look at what the union have, have done and what Jim Curtin's done, uh, like, it, it's hard to make a case against him. It is. And, by the way, like, you want to think about, like, the way that, that Curtin has done a good job of, like, pressing all the right buttons. And we didn't mention this in the, the game recap, but it was something that he mentioned in his postgame. The... the starting 11 that he rolled out uh, against Atlanta was not the starting 11 that he planned on rolling out. He was going to have a senior start and Creval was supposed to be out there. And both of those guys caught a knock in training and that led to El Senior coming in off the bench and Creval being out of the 18 altogether. He, he has got his pulse on this team. And I mean, if, if you need any, you know, any further example uh, of why he should be, if he's not the coach of the year, he's got to be a top two for the award. You look at at the way that this team has trended, and now look at the way that they've kind of pulled together as a cohesive unit, which is something that uh, Aronson talked about after the game. Despite the language barriers that exist between some of these players, they are a tight-knit group, and they all believe in one another, and that is a, a massive showing on on uh, the kind of culture that's been built here with, obviously, Ernst Tanner, but probably even more specifically Jim Curtin in the locker room. So It's always soccer in Philadelphia, episode number 91, for Baxter, uh, for the Rizza, the Jizza, the old dirty bastard, Inspector Deck, Raekwon the Chef, You God, Ghostface Killer, uh, and Russ Joy from Crossing Broad. I'm Kevin Kincaid. Russ, thanks for jumping on. It's always a pleasure. We'll do uh, Crossing Broadcast at some point soon for all of you who also are into the Eagles and you know all the other – teams in town we'll do one of those coming up because football season starting up uh, but it's always soccer in philadelphia whether you fucking like it or not so get used to it